The New Testament reading is from the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verses 1 and 16 through 25. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivals, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Please rise for the reading of the Gospel. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the ninth chapter. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to, to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is the gospel of the Lord. Now, as we get started, I, I need to set the stage a little bit for our reading for today. You see, Luke chapter 9 is a pivotal chapter in the gospel of Luke. In fact, it's really the one in which the entire gospel hinges. Luke chapter 9 contains a lot of stories that you know and that you hold dear to your heart. Uh, it starts with Jesus sending out the disciples. And so it's the time when the disciples, right, the learners and followers of Jesus, become apostles. That is, the sent ones. That's what apostle means. He sends them out to cure and to heal and to minister. And they return back to Jesus, and as soon as they do, he, he performs a miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. Remember the feeding of the 5,000 plus women and children. That's in Luke chapter 9 also. And as if that's not enough, we also have the famous profession of St. Peter. When Peter says to Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, and Jesus says, blessed are you because this wasn't revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. That's in Luke chapter 9. But wait, there's more. The transfiguration, 
When Jesus shows his glory, the glory that he has set aside at the right hand of the Father, as he receives instructions about his departure, about his exodus, as he appears in glory with two men, Moses and Elijah on the mountaintop, that is also in Luke 9. Not only that, but Jesus also exhibits before them this amazing heart for his people as he explains to them what his true purpose is. And as he tells them that he will suffer at the hands of the leaders and the rulers and that he will be put to death. All of that is in Luke chapter 9. All of that sets the the backdrop for our text for tonight. In the midst of all of those things that have already happened, Jesus is now telling them, listen, this is what it means to be my followers in the world. This is what it means to be my apostles. This is what it means to be my disciples. And immediately preceding the verses that we're going to handle tonight, the disciples have sort of begun to sow their oats. They begin to feel themselves out a little bit because Jesus has sent them out and they've done amazing things. Because they've seen the power of God on display in various ways. And now they're beginning to think maybe they have this power too. And maybe it's unique to them. And so John sees someone who's casting out demons in the name of Jesus. And when he sees this person doing it, he tells him to stop. And then he comes back and reports it to Jesus. Jesus, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we told them to stop because they weren't one of us. Didn't I do a good thing, Jesus? But Jesus rebukes him. And he says this, whoever is not against us is for us. Whoever is not against us is for us. That seems like a pretty low bar, doesn't it? Do you agree with Jesus there? To say, as long as you don't oppose me, then you're probably on my side? I don't know if I'd be willing to make that stand. But you see, Jesus isn't just rallying troops. He's not just being an earthly king to say, if, if as long as they're not opposing me, then everything is going well. No, he's actually speaking about what will happen soon to follow, about this transmission of the gospel, about seeking people who are of peace and not of war, about seeking people who would be ones who might be transformed by the gospel of Jesus. And so he says, look, if they're not actively pushing it away, there's a chance that they will hear. Whoever's not against us is for us, Jesus tells them. And then, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go toward Jerusalem. Again, we know why he's going to Jerusalem. The disciples should know why he's going to Jerusalem. He has just told them why. He's going there so that he can suffer and die. He set his face to go toward Jerusalem, but in order for him to go from where he is to Jerusalem, he's going to pass through a village of the Samaritans. And so we're still setting the stage a little bit here for a second. And as we set the stage in this part, you need to be reminded that Samaritans and Jews do not get along. They haven't for generations. They abhor one another. The Jews think that the Samaritans are half-breeds. The Samaritans think that the Jews are stuck up and full of themselves. But really, their argument boils down to one thing. Where must one worship God? You see, the Samaritans believe that he may be worshipped anywhere, and in particular, he may be worshipped at Mount Gerizim in their territory. But the Israelites say that God must only be worshipped in Jerusalem and only at the temple. And so Jesus sends messengers ahead of him to prepare a place for him to spend the night. 
He sends them ahead as kind of an advanced team. Find out what the temperature is there. Let me know if it's safe for me to pass through. And as the disciples say, the master is coming, the teacher is on his way, and he's going to pass through the land. He's on his way to Jerusalem. That's all he needs to say. Because if he says, that they say he's on his way to Jerusalem, the Samaritans then say, we want nothing to do with the guy. Right? And Luke makes that very clear. Luke lets us know that this is going to be a problem. And so that's the stage that's been set for what will happen next. And it's what we want to focus our attention on tonight. What it means for us to be ready for what comes next. What it means for us to know the encounters with Jesus that we have had. To know his work of faith in our lives. And to be prepared for his calling on each one of us. Now let's go back to that Samaritan village for a second. Let's go back among the enemies. Right? Because Jesus said, whoever is not against us is for us. And so now James and John are like, I got it. Right? Jesus, you said, whoever is not against you is for you. Well, these people, they're all against you. So is it fire from heaven time? Right? And I, I love that, I love that the, the version which we read tonight says, should we tell the fire to come down? I love that like you could just speak to fire and it would somehow come alive. Now, joking aside, be honest with yourself here. Think of your enemies. Think of the people who have wronged you. And admit to yourself that there have been times in your life, times in your sinful nature, when you've wanted God to consume, when you've wanted harm to befall, when you've said, if something bad happened to that person, I wouldn't be upset. I mean, I don't really wish it on them, but if it happened, that's the dark side of our human nature. It's the dark side that dwells in each one of us. It's a reality of our sinful condition. A sinful condition that says, my enemies should be destroyed. And we can wrap it in all kinds of righteousness. We can say it's because that person is opposed to God's way in the world. We can wrap it in all kinds of righteousness that it would be better if that person would stop speaking. We can wrap it in all kinds of righteousness just like the disciples did and said those people are against God so they're clearly not for him. But look at what Jesus does. When they say let's burn it down, Jesus rebukes them. Now understand what a rebuke from Jesus sounds like. Understand what a rebuke from Jesus feels like. You see, he is the one who is the good teacher. They trust his word. They, they acknowledge him as truth. They have dedicated their lives to him. And so for them to get something right is the top of the mountain. For them to receive commendation like, like Peter did earlier, to hear Jesus say, blessed are you, it fills them and enriches them. But now to hear a rebuke from Jesus, to hear him say, no, that's not what I have taught you. That is not the way of God. It stings. See, every time our sinful nature is confronted, it stings. We're reminded that we behave in all too human ways. We are reminded that we behave in ways that seek someone else's harm if that will benefit us. We behave in ways that seek to tear down and not to build up. But Jesus rebukes this. He rebukes it even among his enemies. And that's so consistent with what Jesus does. Now, I want to tell you about a time 
in my life when I experienced this, the, uh, a time that almost mirrors this exactly. I was in Guatemala. I was there with three other seminarians is when I was in seminary. And the four of us were visiting with a missionary there. We had to spend two weeks with a missionary as kind of an exposure time to see whether the mission field might be right for us. And so we were there, the four of us friends, and we were touring around the country. He took us to different sites. The missionary's name was Greg Klotz, who's a pastor. And as we went to each of these different sites, he would explain what was going on. He would explain what the church was doing there. He took us at one point to a village where we went to a place called La Casa de San Simón. This is a picture of that place. La Casa de San Simón is, simply put, a place where an idol is worshipped. The idol is San Simón. You might recognize the name Simon in that. What happened when the Roman Catholic Church came in was the Roman Catholic Church took the native religions and told them, well, you have a God of fertility and you have a God of wealth and you have a God of happiness and you have a God of business and you have a God of life and you have a God of water and you have a God of all of these things. We no longer have those. We have one God, but each one of those things has a saint. And so when you pray to that saint, the saint will grant you whatever you wish in that department. In the same way your gods did. This is what happened, and this religion became amalgamated. A religion that was native, and now a religion which was foreign. And they took on this form. And then what happened was for a while, the Roman Catholics were, were actually removed from the situation. And they no longer had influence over many of these villages. And so the worship of God, the true God, was removed from the equation altogether. And what they were left with was an idol. What they were left with in this village was an idol named San Simon, Saint Simon. And people would go there. And it's the most surreal experience that I've ever had. This place is about the size of a grade school gym. And it's filled with incense because there are candles, in particular candles with incense burning all throughout the room. And the different colors of the candles indicate the things that you want Simone to do for you. And so there are white candles and blue candles, there are red candles and yellow candles, and they're always in a circle. And they have pieces of wheat that are strewn around them. There are different things that are left, like locks of hair to try to ask for a blessing for a child. There are things that are left there like possessions. And San Simone, he loves money, he loves cigars, and he loves rum. He loves mariachi. And so there's a mariachi band playing the entire time that the doors are open. And you go in and people are waiting to do homage. They're waiting to worship the idol. And there waiting for them is a, a priestess. We might appropriately call her a witch. In fact, they call them that in Spanish. They're the ones who are in charge. On Tuesdays and Thursdays, they sacrifice animals and the blood is spread. San Simon, his appetite is never filled. He always wants more. And so if you're not getting what you want, it's probably because you haven't made the right sacrifice yet. There are lots of things that are spoken in that village. And among them is that the sacrifices which are made in public pale in comparison to the sacrifices which are made in private. Well, as the missionary led us around there, we went then to where the priestesses lived. There were a group of them, about a dozen, and they keep vigilance, they keep watch all the time. One is always on duty, and there's a, one who's in charge. We went in to the house, and Pastor Klotz actually had the opportunity to sit down and talk with her. She invited him in. I've shared with you before, I was an exchange student in Venezuela, so I speak Spanish. 
And so I was standing in the forum, in the anteroom, right, be, be, right beside where they were speaking. And I could hear the conversation translate for my friends, though none of us really spoke very much the entire time we were in there. And I heard the entire content of the conversation. He was asking her, why is it that your God is never satisfied? Why is it that your God always demands more and more from a people who have less and less? And she kept saying, because that's what he deserves. Because that's what he needs. Because that's what he asks for. And we give him what he wants. And and in the conversation, at the end of the conversation, Pastor Klotz said, I want to tell you about my God. I, I just want you to hear about my God. My God asks for no such sacrifices. My God made the sacrifice once for all. And I'll never forget that the conclusion of the conversation was when she said, Something to the effect of, well, your God sounds weak. And he thanked her for her time. He was very gracious. He said they would love to meet again. And we left. And as we were walking away and going to get back into the van to drive out of this village, we were filled with questions. And the conversation back to where we were staying never stopped. Because the thing that we were all asking ourselves was, at the very least, should we shake the dust off our feet as this being a place where we weren't welcomed? Or is there more? Should we actually call down fire from heaven to destroy this place and to consume those who were touting the same kind of falsehood, who were impacting and inflicting these people with this awful falsehood, this awful deceit, these awful lies? We were exactly like James and John. And the patience of the missionary has always remained with me. Because his response was very much like Jesus. What good is it going to do if fire consumes them? It only binds their souls to hell. And so shouldn't we pray for something different? Shouldn't we pray that God would open a door for a relationship to form? You see, he said that's our business as missionaries, as relationships, in the hope that God would use this relationship, a relationship of peace, to declare the glory of God in Jesus Christ in the hope that one day hearts would be turned. You see, we're not given to punish. and We're not given to vindicate. Instead, we are given the truth to be present in love, to be ones who allow God's presence through us. That's what we're called to do. And as we had that conversation, it was so hard for us to take because every ounce, every fiber of our being wanted to say, no, just destroy it, just wipe it out. But that's not the way of God. That's the way of our sinful nature. When we see this text here, we realize that this is exactly what Jesus is telling us. He's telling us that our job is to establish relationships so that others would hear the gospel. That our job is to be ones who recognize our calling and who know what God is doing in the world, who trust and have confidence in the peace that only Jesus can bring, the peace that surpasses understanding, that guards our hearts and minds in him, the peace that trusts that because he is the transcendent and transfigured God, because he is the one who is able to feed 5,000 with a few loaves and a couple of fish, that he might even be able to use us feeble though we might be. And to understand first his love and forgiveness for us. 
And so Jesus then demonstrates this. As they leave that town, that village of the Samaritans, they walk along the road. And do you remember what happens next? Somebody comes up to Jesus and says, I'll follow you wherever you go. And in a somewhat puzzling way, Jesus responds to him, birds have nests and foxes have holes, but I've got no place to lay my head. And we look at that and we say, well, Jesus, here's a guy who wants to follow you. But I think it's a, I think it's a thinly veiled kind of following. You see, what Jesus is, is demonstrating here is one who comes up to him, who approaches Jesus and says, you know what? You're on the move. You know, you're on the rise. I see where you're going, and I want to be a part of it. They call Jesus the master, and some refer to him as a king. And so this guy who comes up along the road says, wherever you end up, that's where I want to be. This is my chance at greatness. And Jesus' rebuke is to tell him, mine is not the way of the king of the world. Mine is the way of service. Where I'm going, you cannot follow. What I'm doing, you cannot do. Jesus is recognizing all that God has placed on him and that that's all that is placed on him and not on someone else. And so saying to him, do you want to follow in this way of service? Do you really want a piece of that action? Is more than anyone can bear. But Jesus himself will bear it. And so he says to him, no, you can't go this way. Being a disciple isn't glamorous. This isn't your shot at greatness. And the same is to be told to you and to me. The same is true of our lives as well. Brothers and sisters, the way of a servant of God is not glamorous. And I've said it before, and you will hear me say it over and over again. When you go into the world as a servant, and you act like a servant, and you behave like a servant, guess how the world is going to treat you? like a servant. And you know what? That may not feel good. That may not be your brush with greatness. And yet it's an opportunity for God to use you to demonstrate love to the world. And so we're forced to answer the question, are we ready for what's next? Another person comes up to Jesus As this one comes up, Jesus says, follow me. Jesus speaks to this person first, follow me. And the person says, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Come follow me. I have other matters to attend to, Jesus. Now, as one who has buried his father, I find these words incredibly harsh. And I'm forced to sit with them and to struggle with them and to understand what Jesus is saying here. You see, this person, this man, is captive to the tyranny of the urgent. I can't follow you, Jesus. I've got other stuff I need to do. I can't follow you, Jesus, because if I step away from the stuff that I have planned, the world is going to stop spinning. And Jesus is telling him, get away from the tyranny of the urgent. Do the lasting things, and the temporal things will take care of themselves. Set your priorities. Brothers and sisters, God's still calling us to do that. 
That's still the way of a disciple. The way of a disciple is one who says, I I will follow wherever you lead, and Lord, I'll do the lasting things, the most important things. I'll do those and trust that you'll give me the opportunity to do the rest of them as well. And the ones that I don't get to are the ones that I don't need to do. You see, God still calls us to set our priorities. So do your priorities indicate that you're ready for what's next? And there's one last person. Another says, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go say farewell to those in my household. And Jesus said to them, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back for it is fit for the kingdom of God. You see, this person's saying, I'm ready, but I'm not ready. I'm ready, but, but maybe not. Maybe there's something that I still have to do. I'm not sure if I'm qualified, if I'm enough. I'm not sure if I gotta make sure that everything's in order. Jesus, I'm not ready, but I wanna be ready. And brothers and sisters, I think this is where most of us dwell. I think most of us dwell in the situation where we say, I'd love to follow, but I'm just afraid to take that step. I love to follow, but I'm afraid I'm not righteous enough. I'm not pure enough. I'm too sinful, and sometimes I wanna call down fire on people. I don't always make the right confession of faith and I might say the wrong thing. I'm not always welcoming. I'm not always caring. I'm not ready. Well, the first response of a Christian to this, brothers and sisters, is to confess, is to say before God, I have fallen short. I know what you have asked of me. I know what you're calling me to do, and yet I feel so incapable, and I've placed obstacles in the path. And brothers and sisters, you know that to those who confess, the work of Jesus is evident. To those who confess, their sin is removed as far as the east is from the west, that Jesus forgives you. And that in that forgiveness, you have the opportunity to share forgiveness with someone else. You see, that's how we get ready. That's how we become ready for what's next. That's how we, in fact, look at the calling of God on our lives and answer with an emphatic yes to say, God, I'll follow wherever you want me to lead. I'll go with what's next because I trust you because I've experienced your love, because I've experienced your forgiveness. And brothers and sisters, that is life with Jesus. It isn't always what we expect. It might lead us down paths that are surprising, and yet it is life and life to the full. It is engaging in a world which is lost without Jesus. It is trusting that he gives us not only our present but our future as well, that we are confident and forgiven now and bold to declare that this life has no end because Jesus set his forehead like flint to go to Jerusalem to be our savior. And because of that, brothers and sisters, we are ready for what's next. Don't worry about the words and whether they're perfect or the actions and whether they're deliberate. Don't worry about whether you have everything straight or whether there's something in your life that's just a little bit off. Open yourselves up to the work of God to allow his calling on you to do what he has asked us to do, to introduce other people to Jesus, the one in whom there is hope and hope everlasting, the one in whom there is love and perfect love, the one in whom there is forgiveness. Not because we have appeased our God, but because he has suffered for us.
not always glamorous. It comes with a different set of priorities. But brothers and sisters, in Jesus, we are ready for what's next. For the glory of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.